We're going to turn to God's Word now, and if you've got a, a Bible with you, you might like to turn to uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And I'm going to be reading from verse 33, Mark, chapter 9. I'm reading from verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Let's pray together as we come to look into God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being together as a church and we thank you that we can gather together around your word and we pray that this morning that you might speak to us, that you might bring light to your word, that you might speak clearly and that you might help us as we seek to be a welcoming church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're starting a new uh, short summer series this morning, uh, thinking about uh, living upside down. So you're going to be need to uh, be standing on your heads, uh, as well as standing up and sitting down and raising your arms. So uh, just to keep you all uh, awake this morning, we're going to be thinking about uh, living upside down. And I'm not thinking about emigrating to uh, Australia. Uh, although when you look at the Great British Summer, uh, some of us might feel like doing. But I'm thinking about, really, about the fact that uh, Jesus turns our world upside down and the kingdom of God is very different to the kingdom that we live in. And uh, as we pray in that prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, part of our our life as a church is, is trying to bring something of heaven something of God's kingdom to earth. So we're going to be uh, thinking over these next uh, couple of weeks anyway um, about living upside down. And we're thinking this morning about uh, greatness in God's kingdom. We're thinking about greatness in God's kingdom. Who's the greatest is a question that uh, that people like to ask, isn't it? You know, who's the greatest footballer uh, of all time? Might not be up there as far as you're concerned, but these are the sort of questions that that uh, newspapers and television programs love to uh, explore, don't they? Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest footballer? You know, who's the greatest uh, rower of uh, of all time? Um, you know, people have their opinions on on these things, don't they? And uh, there's even, I don't know whether they still do it, but the Times newspaper used to, to, to run an, an annual uh, Greatest Sermon of the Year uh, competition. Um, not that I've ever entered it or will be doing it at any stage in, in the future because I can guarantee you, uh, you uh, one thing, that this probably won't be the best 
sermon you've ever heard this morning. But when we think about greatness uh, in God's kingdom, we discover that it's different from greatness in the world. Greatness in God's kingdom is very different than greatness in the world that we live in. What were you arguing about on a road? Jesus asked the disciples. But they kept quiet because they had argued about who was the greatest. It's a question that's been asked and argued about for centuries. And even the disciples were wondering who was the greatest disciple. I wonder, uh, we don't know and it is just wondering, but I wonder who do you think amongst the disciples perhaps thought they were the greatest. Who might have been uh, putting their kind of uh, their best forward for being the greatest in the disciples? Who, who do you reckon? Just shout out if you think anybody pops into your mind. John, Peter. Yeah, yeah, they, they could have been there. Certainly, if, if you look at John chapter 9, uh, it follows uh, the beginning of uh, John chapter 9. We have the, the transfiguration. You know, where, where Jesus took a select few up this mountain where they had this fantastic experience. You know, where Moses appeared and, and, and other greats from the Old Testament. And I'm sure maybe they came down from that mountain, you know, thinking, well, you know, we've been set apart. Uh, and maybe that was one of the things that, 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 that sparked this argument about who was, who was the greatest among the, the disciples. Uh, but they recognise, or rather they don't want to admit it, they recognise that this isn't a good thing to be talking about because they seem rather shy when Jesus says what we are talking about. And uh, they kept quiet because they were arguing about who was the greatest. And then Jesus drops the bombshell. Very often, in fact, at the, in, in, in the previous verse that, that, we, that we didn't read, when Jesus had been predicting his, 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 his death, uh, they said they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him. And it's encouraging, isn't it, that very often the disciples didn't get what Jesus was trying to get over to them, because often we're in that place where we don't really get it. And hopefully this morning, uh, one of the things that we might do is get something about greatness in the world, because Jesus says... If anyone wants to be first, if anyone wants to be first, in God's kingdom, uh, greatness is to do not with being first, but with being last. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit topsy-turvy. It seems a little bit upside down, the wrong way around, uh, because the world that we live in... Um, Let's face it, we don't want to be last, do we? Very often we want to be first. People are strange, they want to be uh, at the front of the bus, the back of the church, and the centre of attention. We certainly don't want to be last. But Jesus says, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be not just the last, but the very last. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Uh, But we've heard it before, and so maybe we think we know what Jesus is talking about. But I wonder whether we really do. I wonder 
if anyone wants to be first. See, greatness in the God's kingdom is about being the very last. Anybody know who this guy is? Neil Armstrong. Well done, Michael. Neil Armstrong. Um, one of my uh, uh, fond remember—I guess it is a fond memory—of uh, childhood. I can remember being woken up at some unearthly hour in the morning and kind of dragged down and, and placed before this black and white television because I needed to watch this momentous historic occasion of the first man walking on the moon. And, and, and if those of you, some of you will remember it, you know, the crackly pictures, you could hardly see any, anything and, and you could hardly make out, but it, it, was a, it was a big thing. And there was this thing that some of you may recall called the space race. Um, and there was a race between Russia and America, the two superpowers, about, you know, who could be the first to put a man on the moon. And the Russians had beaten the Americans again in the first person in space. And the Americans were desperate to make sure that they were the first people to put a man on the moon because they wanted to be first. They didn't want to be second or third and certainly they didn't want to be last. We live in a world, don't we, where, you know, we we live in a kind of first-past-the-post world, don't we? Everybody wants to be first, don't we? Nobody wants to be last. The cartoon's quite right. It is a, it is a, a religious thing. Um, thinking that you've won when you become, when you become last. I, I, I could have used a, a, a pun, but it just doesn't work now because I, I could have talked about Burnley Football Club. You know, how you could celebrate being last, but of course, you're celebrating being top. Well, yeah, the, there may be a reversal next season, but we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. You know, Leicester City, hey-ho. Being the last. And of course, you know, continuing the sporting, some of you will be watching the tennis, no doubt, this afternoon. And uh, nobody wants to finish second, do they? Nobody remembers who finished second. If I said who finished second uh, last year or the year before, you may or may not recall. Because we remember those people that win, don't we? Those people that come first. And of course, the same in the football. Uh, some of you may be watching the football later. And uh, nobody wants to become runners-up. I can remember uh, when I was a youngster uh, getting to the uh, the YOC. I can't remember what it stands for, but we got to the YOC Cup Final. And uh, we played in a proper football ground. And uh, we came runners-up. We lost the match. And they gave us a medal, and it was meaningless. Who wants a runners-up medal? We don't want runners-up medals, do we? We want winners' medals. I couldn't tell you where that medal is now because it, it was meaningless. Um, I didn't win. Uh, we didn't win. And, uh, and maybe we can learn something from uh, from the Icelanders. Anybody been joining in with the Icelandic chant? Should we try it? It's great, isn't it? It's great. I love it. I love it. It's great, isn't it? But did you see the welcome home they got? They didn't win. Uh, they beat England, but hey-ho. Uh, most teams would have done, wouldn't they? But, but you know, they, they got knocked out. And yet the welcome that they received, it seemed like everybody in Iceland turned out to welcome home, basically, um, a bunch of losers. They'd lost. 
And there was something in that, wasn't there, that kind of captured people's imaginations about this small nation with, 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 what is it, 300,000 people and, and a, a tenth of them actually went to the, went to watch them in, in France. And there was something about the welcome home that these people got that kind of identified with people, isn't it? And it certainly identifies with us because we, we think about the first being last. And there's something about being last. If anybody wants to be first, then they have to take the last place. And of course, the sight of uh, refugees uh, walking across nations, across lands. Uh, these people are last. And basically, they're fed up of being last. And uh, they want to join the first world. We talk about the third world but we don't very often talk about the first world. These people just want to be part of the first world. They want to be where we are. And so they walk across and they make that journey because they're fed up of being last. Nobody wants to be last. And Jesus turns our world upside down and says, if you want to be first, he must be the very last. So, Greatness in the God's kingdom, it's not about being first. It's not about being first in the queue. It's not about being first in a race. Um, it's allowing other people's space. And then greatness in the kingdom of God, it's about being the very lowest. Again, this isn't going to be popular. This isn't going to be a, a popular thing. Um, People want to be the highest rather than the lowest, don't they? Uh, certainly when it comes to pay, nobody wants to be the lowest paid, do they? You want to be the highest paid. Uh, you want to, people want the highest seats rather than the lowest seats. And yet Jesus says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. You see how Jesus is turning the disciples' idea of greatness uh, Peter and John had, had been up on the, on the mountain to this high point and uh, they thought greatness was about positions. You know, if Jesus was going to come into his kingdom, they wanted to make sure that they, you know, had a, a good position and they thought they were thinking in a worldly way about positions being handed out and about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says, actually, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you've got to be a servant. And uh, nobody wants to be a servant, don't they? It's much more, we, uh, Ben was talking about going into, into posh restaurants. And what happens in posh restaurants, you know, people come and wait on you and serve you. And it's very nice, isn't it? It's lovely, isn't it? And you don't have to do the washing up afterwards, unless you can't pay the bill. But um, hey-ho, you know. And, and it's lovely, isn't it, when people serve you. Uh, but it's not so much fun when you're on the other end, when you're on the serving business. And yet, this is what Jesus says the kingdom of God is about. It's not about being served, but about serving. If you want to be great, you must become a servant. And sometimes we do get a little bit mixed up in the church, don't we? Because we tend to think, you know, if, if we were to do a little survey in the church, you know, about who's the most important person in the church... I wonder how many people would say, well, obviously the minister is the most important person. And if they did so, they'd be wrong. 
Um, because Jesus seems to say, actually, the most important, the greatest people are the ones who are the last and the one who have the lowest place and the people who serve. That's what greatness is. It doesn't look like that great from a world perspective. This is uh, Jay Marriott. I don't know if you've ever stayed in a Marriott hotel. Apparently they're, uh, they're very nice places to stay. And uh, Jay Marriott said this. Uh, he's no longer with us. He's dead. But he, he said, he said, we are great because we are here to serve. And uh, he tells a story of how the employers were losing touch with the purpose of serving. And the company was discovering that the wealthy and successful business travellers were getting great service, while the average customers not being served as well. And so the concept that you don't treat wealthy business customers any better than anybody else, but you treat everybody the same and you serve them equally, became their motto. We are great because we are here to serve. I've never tried it out for myself to see whether that's still the case, but uh, but that's the but, but what a great idea! And uh, you wonder where you may have got that idea from. Somebody a little bit more well known to us, Rick Warren, says this: the mark of spiritual maturity occurs when a believer takes off the bib and puts on the apron. Immature children wear bibs and expect others to meet their needs. Those who don aprons have learned the joy of serving others. And it is a challenge to us, you know, in the church. Are we here to be served or are we here to serve? Are we here to be served or are we here to serve? And what would our community look like if we decided as a church we are here to serve our community? We are here to serve our community. Interesting. Of course, Jesus demonstrated his servant's heart. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Do you remember the incident in John chapter 13 when um, they were gathered for the Last Supper and Jesus takes off his garments and he puts on an apron and he washes the disciples' feet. And he says to them, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Being the very lowest. And he goes on to say, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sends him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus was setting an example of what leadership, of what greatness was about, and it was about serving other people, about taking that lowly task that only a servant would do and washing his disciples' feet. Greatness in God's kingdom is about being the very lowest. And then greatness in God's kingdom is about welcoming the very least. Greatness in God's kingdom is about welcoming the very least. He took a little child and had him stand among them, taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. 
Now we, we might be thinking, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that kind of cute? He's taking a, he's taking a child and he's, he's perhaps saying, you know, we should be innocent like children. Uh, we should be childlike in, in our, in our acceptance of, of, of everything that, that Jesus was teaching. But actually what Jesus was doing, he was taking a child who in his time and in his society, uh, would not have been highly valued. And he's saying, he brings a child into the center. And what he's doing is he was, he was taking somebody who had no power, no rights, no voice. And he was saying, you know, whoever welcomes one of these little ones welcomes me. Whoever welcomes one of these little ones welcomes me. And there is a danger in church that we forget that we are part of an, an upside down kingdom. How often in church, you know, do we actually give an equal welcome to all? I loved what, what Ben did, but it would have been a difficult thing, wouldn't it, to not stand up and say, well, actually, I don't feel welcome here. Uh, it might have even appeared rude, um, but it would have been a difficult thing to do. But my concern in, in any church and every church that I've been in is that actually some people may feel more welcome than others. Some people may feel more at ease and more at home than others. And uh, we do tend to, to judge people, don't we, by appearances, by stature, by uh, a worldly standing, by what they do, by how much money they have, by, by what gifts and abilities they have. You know, uh, when somebody new comes into the church... Um, it's tempting, isn't it, to, to think, oh, great, this person can, can bring this and that and, and the other. And, uh, oh, this person, well, maybe they, they don't have quite as much to offer. And it's so easy to, to adopt that kind of worldly approach. And Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these little ones welcomes me. Welcoming the very least. He took a little child and had him stand among them, taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes one of these. And maybe we could update it and say, whoever welcomes one of these refugees Whoever welcomes one of these people who has a different religion than us. Whoever welcomes one of these people who are different in any way, whether it be race, whether it be uh, gender, whether it be sexuality. Whatever the differences and whatever, we have to try and look for a, a welcome. And I wonder where, where, are the, where are the welcome for the people who, who don't feel welcomed? Do we give an equal welcome? To all. Whoever welcomes one of these, welcoming the very least. And of course, as we still kind of recall from the uh, uh, EU referendum, um, I guess one of the difficulties I was thinking when I was on holiday, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, if it, if the EU referendum had been a church meeting, um, we probably wouldn't have passed it, would we? Because if we were making a, a huge decision about something really important and only 50% of the people thought it was a good idea, we probably wouldn't go ahead with it. And uh, I guess that's why some people are struggling with the, with, 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 with the outcome of that. But actually, again, as a church, you know, we have a real 
role to play, I think, in our society in helping people and welcoming people of different opinions and different views. You know, so often when I'm in Christian circles, I hear people writing other people off uh, because they think differently, because they vote differently, because they behave differently. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to write people off. And yet Jesus says, whoever welcomes the least of these. And the challenge for us is to look into our world and say, well, who are the least of these? Who are those people that the world doesn't welcome? As I've, uh, as I've, as I've been travelling this week, I've noticed that some churches, you know, have started putting signs outside their, their, their churches, not advertising what they're doing, so much as making sure that people understand that asylum seekers, refugees, all are welcome here. They're sending out a message to our nation that we want to know that people are welcome, that they are welcome to come into our churches. And although we don't live in a particularly diverse uh, neighbourhood, you know, maybe we need to make sure that everybody knows that they are welcome. And that takes work and effort, and it means making an effort to make sure that we welcome equally people from wherever they come from. Whoever welcomes one of these welcomes me. And so, in this new series, we're thinking about how Jesus turns our world upside down. And we uh, are going to continue next week as we look at another passage where Jesus turns our world upside down. But 